There we go. That's how we do it. Third Degree, the podcast is brought to you by Soccer 90, your choice for FC Dallas, North Texas SC gear, and U.S. national team. Check out the latest arrivals from MLS, the Premier League, Bundesliga, and more. Here's hoping they get Leeds United stuff soon. ShopSoccer90.com, and as listeners of this podcast, get 20% off your order with the code ThirdDegree, 3-R-D-D-E-G-R-E-E, at checkout. Some exclusions apply. Well, hello there, FC Dallas Curious fan. Welcome to another episode number, please. 174. 174 of Third Degree, the podcast. Hi, it is me, Peter. And we do not, unfortunately, have Dan Crook at this time. Now, he may appear magically at any given moment, but I'm a little bummed out because I really wanted to give him a lot of crap about his taste in fast food chicken joints. (laughs) He had some of the hottest and, frankly, most awful of opinions related to chicken outlets on the Discord uh, earlier today. I was aghast at his opinions about places that he thought served terrible chasting chicken, so... Maybe that's why he's not here, because he knows I was going to give him some crap. And of course, there you hear him in the background. You know him. You love him. He's your hero and mine. The amazing Buzz Carrick. Come and buzz. Yeah, Peter, I think it's a stereotype, but every time you know I hear a British person talking, talking about the flavor of foods, I want to think to myself, I've eaten British <laughs> cooking. <laughs> the flavor is not a high component in the British cooking. You love something called bangers and mash, which is yeah. essentially just like goofed up peas into a pudding-like consistency with no flavor whatsoever. Yeah. No, I'm... Dan, I will trust Dan with a lot of things, but uh, flavors of food is not one of them. So there you go. Buzz, I'm going to admit at this point up front, I have failed the pod listener because I mm. have not watched Dallas's uh, miserable loss in Nashville. But I'm going to say I'm probably better for it. Although. Yeah. I do feel like this is what's frustrating because it feels like just a week ago we were all talking about what a wonderful man-for-man best showing of the season that they had in that amazing win over first-place Philadelphia. Now, to go on the road's one thing, but to lose as badly as apparently they did, as I'm sure you're going to tell us, yeah, is not really a good look for this team. No, no, it is not. Um Look, sometimes there are bad games that just happen where, for whatever reason, the wheels just come off the bandwagon and you get a stinker of a result. These are the games where the coach will usually say, we're not even going to watch the game film. We're just going to toss it out. We're going to move on. We'll pretend like it never happened. Um, you know, th- there's probably various triggers, and I'm sure we'll, and we're going to go over f- here what a few of them might be. But, you know, this is not a, uh, a performance that you can – it's in fact very difficult to even watch it and try and take away anything from it tactically because it was so one-sided uh, and such a dismantling that it you know there, there's not a ton of value in it. Uh, there's a little bit I think that can be taken away sort of on a macro level, and we're going to do that 
but um, it's not. Uh, it was not pretty. <laughs> it, was, it was not fun by any means. All right. Now I know we all went into the game understanding that Jesus was suspended, not available. That meant Franco Hara was going to start, and I'm going to assume Franco was about as bad or as good as Franco can be. But that can't be the singular reason why this team loses four nothing on the road. No, I think uh, 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 there's also a contributing factor that they put so much mental and physical energy into the Philly game, that that was such a high water mark and such a focus of what they had been doing that after that game, there couldn't help but be a letdown. So this game was the third game of in, in a week, you know, Hey, Seuss is not there. They're coming off this massive high physically and mentally, all that stuff kind of compounds into putting you in a, perhaps a flat mental sort of state. Uh, and then you go into the game and you're missing your best player and you go and you make a, change to combat that but then you don't uh and we'll break this down in a minute make perhaps the right tactical change to adapt to that player uh and you get a performance like this and then it starts to go south and then it just there's not a good reaction either there's a uh i i don't want to say a negative reaction but there isn't a positive reaction of okay let's get back in this real quick it just goes from one mistake to another and all of a sudden it's for nothing so it's not by any means a good performance and and there are some flaws in the Dallas team we've always said all along the team is not perfect but there are some flaws in the team that this kind of team against who they went against Nashville exposes them to and again there are things to, those are some red flags to work worry about over the next course of this season and, and to think about as we go into next season in terms of how they might make changes too yeah, two things. One, Nashville, it wasn't like Nashville uh, wasn't in a battle mode themselves. I mean, that's a team that clearly was, you know, once again, I, I'm convinced somewhere along the way, somebody's going to write a doctoral thesis about uh, teams playing in their brand new stadiums. No matter what the sport is, they always seem like they suck in the first season. Uh, and Nashville's having uh, similar issues. But um, the other part of that is, is I was surprised that Nico didn't do more rotating of uh, players uh, coming off all the effort and energy they put into the Philadelphia win. Yeah, it's certainly easy for us to say this now, but at the time, once you were going to be missing Jesus anyway, and it's the third game in a week. Now I, I can sort of see the school of thought of, well, we played really well and we're going to reward. There's always a mentality with coaches of if a group wins, you roll them again. But once you were missing Jesus, it really would have been for me, the perfect opportunity to sort of rotate some guys in. And they did a tiny bit. They, they started seeking assembling also. Uh, but again, part of his nature led to part of the difficulties they were having, you know, so this, this coach runs a very, very short bench, and, and he rotates more by subbing guys early than he does by actually mixing up starters. We don't really see these games where he like brings in five or six starters different it's, it's for some whatever reason. That's not something that's in his tool bag. I think he's done that once, maybe, but I, I'd have to go look it up. Um, but yeah, they were they were thinking they were going there, going in there and play their usual game. That usual game, even without Jesus, would be good enough. And I think that that also is a miscalculation. I think. All right. So where did it go wrong? Well, the number one thing for me is that uh, I think back to the success that this team has with Frank O'Hara. Not not that they're successful because of him, but when he's played and it has been successful, they've used a him as a more static kind of striker because that's what he is with a player underneath the best moments of Frank O'Hara. Jesus comes into the hole as more of a pure 10. So in this shape, they went with their natural four, three, three, 
and you have Edwin back there who plays sideline to sideline, and you have Paxton, you have Siki, but you don't have a, a 10. You don't have a guy occupying that hole that is created because Franco is more static. Now, they tried to combat that by having both of their wings come underneath and play into that hole and taking turns playing into that hole. The problem is, is that that then leaves you exposed on the outside and you're playing against a team that is effectively playing a flat 4-4-2 at that point, pretty much. And so all of a sudden, the volume of balls that we saw against Philadelphia to those outside backs where they had all that room to roam, all of a sudden those outside backs are now facing two-on-ones <laughs> the other way on the outside. And so the whole thing just didn't work the way you would expect it to. That gigantic hole behind Franco Hart was a problem. There was either a hole there or there was a hole on the wing. I feel they would have been better served with a 4-2-3-1, which would have been you know, who you put in that role is a question. Uh, Legette probably could have done it, but they rested him. Velasco can do it. Um, you know, th There are ways to combat, to get a player in there uh, that can fill that space. Paxson could probably do it. In, in a way that is similar to how Jesus does it, and then you, you don't have as much of a burden on created by a guy who's a relatively static nine. So I guess the question is, is, is there, you know, this is funny about Major League Soccer because it, in terms of numbers of games, I was thinking about this earlier today, it falls somewhere in a weird uh, hole between the NFL where there's only now 17 games in a season. But historically in the NFL, you just can't afford to take games off. Whereas with baseball, basketball, and hockey that all play you know, tons of games, we all know that those clubs, especially at the end of three-game road trips, find ways to afford themselves to kind of like let some games go just because it's more valuable to rest people. But Major League Soccer, with only 30-something games in a season, it just feels like it's almost – it's difficult to, to, to judge whether or not, you know, managers have that kind of space to make decisions in games like this. We're on the road, end of three games. Uh, we're missing our best player. What – how should we – you see where I'm going yeah, with that? Yeah, yeah. No, it is difficult. And – and this is, as I said, this is a coach that not has not really rotated that way. You know, he's rotated more by one guy here, maybe. And in, in this game, it was Siki. You know, he's rotated more by subbing guys out really early when they get leads. You know, there are some things about this game that I think would have lent themselves to some rotation because if you remember, there's been a couple of times this year where um, a team has made an adaptation by putting in a very fast vertical striker who runs at your defense, runs at those gaps, runs and tries to create havoc with your center backs. Mm -hmm. uh, Nashville has two of those guys. They got Sapong and they got Mukhtar, two guys that will just blister you, right, coming through the middle. And that was like a, like a, like a highway through the middle of the defense. So you, you, I think you could have said to yourself, maybe this is a game to put in a Nikosi Tafari a guy with more verticality, with more pace, with more range to try and combat that stuff. Maybe even uh, Quinones, maybe both of them might have been better, more physical matchups. Um, maybe it's a game that you give Farfan off because if you put Nanu in there, who's a more offensive player that can run the line, maybe he's a guy that can get them to sit back a little bit and not press you quite so much because they came out heavy, hard pressing on Dallas not letting them get out of the back. Mm -hmm. You know, maybe this is a game where 
you could have brought Facundo back. Eblen started like five in a row. We'll see them really good. You don't want to take him out, but maybe the road mentality needed to come back of the grindy sort of battler that Facundo is a stay at home guy that would have clogged that middle a little bit. Maybe it's a game you could have gone three at the bracket and brought in Nikosi to bring in some of that. So there, there were other options, I think, than, than sitting Pat in the exact same formation and only changing the one player you had to, and then bringing in Siki, who was problematic in terms of his ability to track guys out of midfield. I think it was the second goal where he failed to track out uh, the, the midfield, the extra midfielder that came through. He just watched him run past him, and that guy just tapped it in. You know, th- there were problems that occurred all over the field, and it's easy, again, for us to point them all out now and to think, oh, it was so obvious what he should have done. I don't think that that's the case. I don't think it was obvious. I, I do think that the formation probably was pretty clear to me that the four through three does not work with Frank O'Hara. You have to do something different there. And I think you make a very valid case that maybe this was the game that you could have rotated. And maybe he would come back and say, this is the game we should have gone in and really done, not tried to play our game, but have been really defensive and really done a low block and tried to grind it out. So there, there, there are lots of things they could have done. In the end, they didn't and they got wrecked. <laughs> right. Yeah. Um, I, I, it just, and, and kind of, uh, cause I didn't watch the game, but in kind of prepping to, to at least try to familiarize myself with what happened, I was, I was somewhat shocked, uh, but maybe I shouldn't have been that Benny got subbed in at halftime. Well, I think that just shows you the state of where they were, you know, they, they, you're, you're looking at a team that was not having a whole lot of options. Benny is a guy who can play. A, you know, a wing or a central underneath Frank O'Hara, you know, they were trying to go to more of a, I would have called it a four, four, two, or maybe it's a four, four, one, one. The, the look is there in the attempt to try and combat what, what Nashville was doing in the wide spaces. And with those angle cuts through the midfield, they basically went away from having a true uh, holding mid and went kind of with a double, central mid look with Legette and Pomacall where at that point were basically your center mids and Obreon was on one side and none. It was on the other kind of as your mm-hmm. wide mids, um, you know, old school sort of flat and almost well, that's quite flat, but you know what I mean? With the double sort of eights in there and no real, real hard hitting six because they were down many goals at that point. They're trying to get it back in and offensively. So Benny's one of the few guys they had left that had an offensive punch off of the bench. And there's also, uh, coach has been lamenting his inability to get Benny in. He really likes Benny and has been wanting to get <laughs> Benny these longer runs. And so there's probably also basically like, oh, we're out of it. Let's just give Benny a shot. Let's put him in. Let's give him 45 minutes. I think he came in at halftime, I think. I don't remember exactly when he came in. but um, Yeah, 46 is what the yeah, sheet so, says, so halftime. You know, they're, they're, I don't think it would be fair to try and point fingers at any one particular player. You know, there was – uh, Edwin made a couple of turnovers early that were costly, but they were way up at midfield. You know, the, the, the team's countering 40 yards before they scored, you know. So there's not there's not anybody that, like, uh, of the whole group, I don't think I can point to any one person as like, oh, that was the terrible guy. Man, they were all terrible. You know, you look at whatever site you want that evaluates players and gives them scores or who scored or whatever you want to look at. All the Dallas players are in the low, you know, sixes, except perhaps Paz, who had a pretty solid game. I mean, it was a bad performance by everybody. There was very few, you know, game shot creating opportunities. Dallas had very few shots on the whole day, generally speaking. It just was a 
you know, a bad, you know, when you come out of a game with four shots, none of them on goal, mm-hmm. you know, you got stumped, even though you had 55% possession, you did nothing with it. You know, it just was a bad game across the board. Yeah. I, I, again, without seeing it, but when I look at the, the summary sheet and see that they gave up a goal in, in the fifth minute of the game, yeah, just history tells me for a team kind of in this position, it's like, oh, crap, it's going to be one of these nights, and it just never gets better from that point. Yeah. I assume that's kind of how the game just rolled out. And again, they're facing a Nashville team that was in a bit of a crisis mode because they weren't really running in great form, I don't think. I, I'm trying to remember what Nashville's... They had, yeah, they had lost yeah, they two hadn't, straight at home, yeah. yeah had were. lost two straight at home and hadn't won a game uh, in a long while. Uh, in fact, they're in fact yeah. prior to this they were three ties and three losses yeah. uh, in their six prior games. So it's it's an interesting. I mean, I guess the cards were kind of stacked against them. I'm just wondering. I get. I guess what I'm taking from this buzz, from your point of view, mm-hmm. is that Nico may not have played his cards the same way you would have played your cards yeah. if you had been in that position. And I think he wouldn't play them the same in hindsight. You know, Nashville, because of that Porsche form, they were in a very, very aggressive mentality. They're like, we're not losing this one. And they came out super aggressive and super high press and super energetic. And they were making it very, very difficult for Dallas to get out. As I said, they had the kind of this flat four kind of look. So they were overloading both the outside mids and the outside backs coming forward. And for the first five or six minutes, Dallas could barely even get out of the defensive third. And so Nashville gets the goal and Dallas probably at that point, I certainly watching was thinking, man, they can't even get past midfield. (laughs) And it was the same way. Like they restarted and Nashville just came again, just relentless. And so like the first 15 or 20 minutes, it was like the possession was completely lopsided the the other way. And the ball was way deep in the Dallas end. And they finally was maybe like 15 or 20 minutes in. They finally got past midfield for like the first time. And Dallas couldn't string together any passes. That everything was getting cut out. A lot of times there were there were sort of examples of like from the previous game success against Philly. Guys were like, "Oh, this was working. Let's go out there." And there were like three guys there, and people are passing to zones where there's no Dallas players. There was just a complete disconnect because of this intense pressure. And then you're down two basically, and it's like, "Oh my God, how are we going to get back in this?" And they tried to play that. Once Nashville had a couple of goals, they let up on some of that a little bit. And then they kind of went again into this sort of mid look that Dallas has so much trouble getting past sometimes that Dallas didn't have legit and they didn't. And Pomacall is, you know, not playing up to himself and, and Surreal's not playing up to the way he had been the last few games. And Frank O'Hara is not moving. He's not creating these line breaking moves that Jesus does when he checks back and allows these combination buildups that they do as a team when they then go out to Areola or Velasco, it's just none of it was working. And so you just sat there watching the game. I did thinking, how in the world are they going to get back into this? Because nothing they were doing was working and everything Nashville was doing was working. And it was just a complete, it's one of the biggest dismantlings I've ever seen. It was like Nashville is probably thinking this is the worst team we played all year. Well, it <laughs> was, it's, it's Dallas's worst <laughs> loss of the season. They haven't yeah. lost uh, by four goals or given up four goals all season. Uh, and so, yeah, I mean, look, it's, it's a, in my point of view, it's a bummer to see this result on the heels of what I, you know, we talked about last week. 
That 1-0 win against Philadelphia at home is one of the most impressive performances I have seen out of this club in many, many years. And to see him follow it up with something like this is just a bit defeating just because it kind of really wrecks the value of the previous win, especially yeah. because it's a team that is chasing you for a playoff spot. That's the other part of it that really stinks. Yeah, I, I think this is a game where, as a coach, you will just try and throw it out the window because you'll say, hey, there's no tactical value that we can take from breaking the game down. Like breaking the film down on this one, it's not really going to do you any good. So this is one where you're just like, you know what? We're past it. Let's just think about how good we were against Philly. Let's think about how good we've been in these other situations, how good we are when we have our guys, you know, and just try and look forward to the next one and say, you know what? We're going to go out and we're going to prove that we're a good team and we're going to go back home and we're going to have a game here in our backyard and you're going to feel really good about it. And, and that's why you try and, when you have a game like this, you try and downplay it as much as you possibly can as to like, it's just a fluke, right? It just mm-hmm. as a coach, you'd say, you know what? It's because of this, it's because of that. Throw it out the window. You guys are good. We know we're good. We just had the best game of our time together against Philly, and that's what we're going to focus on. And, and you try and move past a game like this because if you dwell on it, then it can seep in. Like, look at all these problems we have, and you don't want to do that. You don't want the players to be doing that. You know, so th- this is definitely a game where – you you want to you want to diffuse it and not let people dwell on it and, and and really you'll be glad they'll be glad that they actually have a game really quickly that they yes. can get back at it and and a game at home where they can get back at it and, and and Jesus should theoretically be back you know depending on whether he actually is hurt or not I don't think he is so you know the, all that stuff's going to be in their favor in terms of trying to rebound quickly and you remind them that we're in third place you remind them that everybody loses big games you know you remind them of other people's losses that that are actually really good teams you know it's just a moment we're going to move on and we know we, we have belief in ourselves well the soothing salve of a uh, of a win on saturday against another team that is chasing you for an important not just a playoff spot but a, a home game first playoff spot is salt lake who come into town uh, now salt lake isn't great on the road They're three, six, and four. Um, but they did get results in their last two road games. They won in Seattle and they drew in San Jose. So, uh, Buzz, what you got looking lined up for that one? Well, that's an interesting question. You know, I, I think for the most part, as a coach, you don't want to, you know, bench guys based on something like this Nashville game because you can't say, ah, it's no big deal we're past it and then go bench somebody from what happened in it. At the same time, Frank O'Hara came up lame at the end of that game. And Jesus's post game last time said that this little injury, this little knock is no big deal. So we're going to take him at his word and expect that he will be back. If he's not back, then it becomes absolutely fascinating about who plays as a nine, because one of the roster holes we've talked about since January is that there's no third nine here. There's no kid backup ready to, do something. Now you can, Benny has done that a little bit in training. So has Obreon. You could always go to an emergency signing and bring up one of your uh, North Texas guys. If you felt that was the way route to go, probably not, but you could do that. So we'll have to hope that Jesus is back. Uh, I would imagine that Legette will be back in. I, he was just rested last game. So that seems pretty obvious. Pomacal is obvious. The back line is really entrenched. Unless Hedges or Martinez is hurt and we don't know it, but neither one of them acted like it, those guys are going to be in there. So the only other question other than is who's healthy and is Legette back, which he should be, is Evan Cerillo. 
Edwin did not have a great game against Nashville. He had a really great game against Philadelphia. Yet the coach also really likes Facundo. You know, so does, does he want to go to a warrior kind of grindy guy? Usually at home, he sort of leans a little more towards the possession guy. My, my gut would say to put let Edwin stay in there, even though he had a bad game against Nashville. Again, I don't think you want to crucify anybody for that game if you're trying to claim you're moving past it. So I'm, I'm probably like 60-40 that Edwin starts again, 40% that Facundo starts again. And you play your same game. You, you think to yourself and you preach to yourself, this is our home field, our home ice. They're going to have to come in here and adapt to the way we want to play. We're really good when we play in the way we want to play. And you're going to want to try and dictate the game to, to uh, Salt Lake and make them deal with difficult road conditions. So I, I think you'll see pretty much the standard set as long as Jesus is, is healthy. And really, you just have the one massive question, Edwin versus Fercundo. All right. I do want to bring up the Jesus thing because in the – I guess it was the uh, write-up of, of the game by John Arnold that appeared in the morning news – um, he mentions something about Jesus, and I think we all saw it in the, you know, we all saw it in the Philly game where he came out kind of touching his stomach and abdomen thing. They make some sort of reference to previous or um, what was the phrase they used, Buzz? Uh, uh, previous procedure yeah. or small procedure that yeah. had been done previously. Do you have any idea what they're referring to? Well, the last thing, I, Jesus has had core issues in his past. So back in like 2019, he had some kind of core procedure. I don't remember whether it was a sports hernia or something else, but that's that's been a thing that he struggled with when he was a teenager, basically. Yeah. And the last year or year and a half or two years, really, as far as I know, he said no problems with that. So it's possible that he might have had some kind of uh, you know scarring break loose through contact or like a spot that was a bad spot before has come has a little problem again. You know, you can you can feel like you have something going on there without actually having something going on there if it's been a problem area for you. Um, mm. And so that's my assumption. Again, sometimes you have to take them at their word to a certain point. You know, you worry like, OK, that's what you say it is. So we're going to see, you know, Jesus says no big deal. You know, the coach says no big deal. So we're going to go with no big deal until, of course, it is a big deal. But um, that's one of the only areas that I can remember Jesus ever having any problems with was that core, that that sports hernia type situation that I mean, Oscar used to say that all the kids in that in this new current generation, which is like ninety eight kids and up all have problems in this area. He used to joke that he thought it's because they don't go outside enough. They play video games too much. <laughs> <laughs> and they actually really implemented that's the they implemented. I remember a, that. Yeah, they implemented a aggressive core strengthening program in their academy because of this what they saw as a, a legitimate problem that was cropping up with everybody. Um and Jesus had a little bit of that. But again, it's been a couple of years since he's had a little bit of that. So Cross your fingers, knock on wood. It really is just a no big deal, hopefully. so. Yeah, uh, just to be clear, let me quote John's article in the Dallas Morning News. It's something, quote, something they did a procedure on a while ago, uh, close quote. So, And that was in 2018, which was the sports hernia deal. So I I guess that's some sort of uh, uh, connection with that. I'd like to think it's related to that and not something that he's had done Mm -hmm. in between now and then, and we just didn't know about it. Yeah, that would be uh, worse. That would be alarming for (laughs) sure. Sure. Well, like I say, sometimes, you know, on a surgery like that, sometimes a little something can pop loose or slide. It's not a big deal, but it doesn't feel great when it happens and can scare you, but it's not not a problem. You know? Yeah. 
Um, okay, so Salt Lake rolls into town Saturday at 8 p.m. It is an 8 p.m. kickoff, and the game will be on TXA 21. Um, any other thoughts about uh, the loss in Nashville or the Salt Lake game before we move on there, Buzzard? Yeah, not really. I think that covers all of it. I, I, in the long run, I think there's a problem with uh, the center back pairing as it is now, which is Martinez and Hedges. It's Hedges mostly because of his age and Martinez because of the kind of player he is. When they face a really aggressive, fast striker that wants to hit those gaps, uh, they struggle. There was a game, I want to say it was it was either Portland or Seattle where they brought in a guy like that, and, and Nico took like 15 minutes to recognize it and adapt and bring in an extra center back because extra center back tightens the spaces. We don't talk about mm-hmm. that a lot. It's Nashville, same thing. So this is a thing to watch. There needs to be a recognition of that this is an issue and the kind of team you're going up against if you run into teams that have guys like this or if they sub in a guy like this and some adaptation needs to be made because it's clearly a weakness that they've been exposed a couple times this way. It's one of the few ways this defense is problematic. The other one is um, like the third goal. I think it was the third goal. Don't quote me on that part. There was a, where Paxton made a really dumb chase him down from behind foul right outside the top of the key and the guy hit a bomb of a free kick right into the goal. And it's that problem of giving up those fouls right outside the box or PKs because this team's giving up more PKs than everybody anybody else in the league, I think. Mm-hmm. So those two things, the, the, the pace being a problem for center backs and fouls in bad positions are two worrisome red flags that we want to try and minimize over the course of the rest of this season. Uh, those are the only things that I take away from this game is like, okay, let's worry about that a little bit at a coaching level, see if there's some adjustments that can be made there. But otherwise, that's really my only takeaways. I wanted to uh, switch topics a little bit. I was sitting here uh, just making sure that I had the dates and times right for the game, and I was looking at the schedule, and there's something on the site that reminded me of a conversation that's been going on over in your Discord for the last week or so. By the way, if you're a patron of, Boz- of Buzz's Third Degree, I don't remember what the, I think it's what, two bucks a month or whatever it is, uh, Buzz, you get access to Buzz's Third Degree Discord, which is one of the best, most entertaining, fun, welcoming, uh, non-combative, mm-hmm. uh, just kind of cool places to hang out on the internet to talk all things soccer and other stuff like that. But the topic, and you know, I don't even know if we ever addressed this on the pod, which was the news several weeks ago that the team has divested itself of its relationship with MTX as its jersey sponsor. Have we talked about this on the pod? Yeah, we did. We did a bit on it. Okay. Yeah. I couldn't remember if we did. I, I, if we hadn't done it here or on the radio show um, and the shadiness of that company and uh, yeah. just kind of how <laughs> just it's uh, – well, anyway, that's a whole different story. But on here on the website is the growing presence of the growing brand long sought after in our community of the grocery store chain HEB, which is beginning to open locations up in the Collin County area in particular. Yeah, I'm very sad they don't have one down here in Dallas proper yet and probably won't for a long time. But I'm a big uh, Central Market customer, which is their kind of uh, uh, top level brand. And, I, and, and a lot of the questions growing, and I'm wondering if you've heard anything, Buzz, of the likelihood that HEB might become the next Jersey sponsor for the club. I've not heard anything directly saying Jersey sponsor, but, um, you know, in hindsight, uh, right about the time we heard leaks of the MTX deal collapsing was just about the exact same time where all of a sudden there's this big, huge new HEB advertisement in the stadium. I mean, massive. Right. 
signage. And since then, we've seen them on come in as a new sponsor on, in so many phases of the organization. And I've heard stories about how they've been quietly, HEB, been buying up land all over like the north kind of part of Dallas. It's pretty clear that they're trying to establish a bunch of stores. And I say this not as a guy who knows anything about grocery stores, but it's what people are all talking about, that they're trying to establish all these stores up in the Frisco, Plano, North Dallas kind of area. And if you're trying to reach it's that market, you know, that's a that's FC Dallas is a pretty focused marketing vehicle to that particular area. And HEB does sponsor teams in Mexico. They sponsor um, lots of like, um, I, I saw them today. They did a um, FC Dallas community interaction kind of thing, community affairs kind of thing. Um, charity kind of thing. So like they're getting involved in late in the season at a large level with FC Dallas across the board. And it, it, it's coinciding with the MTX is out stuff just really indicates, you know, like when you read the tea leaves, there's a really strong corollary there to make one think maybe that's a New Jersey sponsor. You know, when you come in at the level of buy that they've come in at. So it does make yeah. some sense. They do sponsor jerseys and other places. You can go find some Mexico teams that they sponsor in jerseys. So they are willing to work with you based on the images I've seen in terms of colors or, you know, getting it to work on your kit. So, um, you know, Dallas does need a new jersey sponsor for both. It'll change on both jerseys next year. I mean, there's only only one of them will be new, but they'll both change. You know, and, and one of the reasons why you're already seeing sales on the jerseys is because they got to get rid of all the ones that say MX, MX or MAVQ or whatever yeah. on it. So there's a lot that makes sense about it. I'm not going to promise that that's what it is. It's just one of those things where you're like, boy, this all jersey is going to make a lot of sense, doesn't it? Well, it does, especially because HEV is a grocery store brand that people love. Uh, you know, I my wife is from Houston, and for my entire existence, she has raved about how much her family loves shopping at HEB. And when Central Market opened in the Dallas area, which again is kind of their uh, next level brand, higher priced, uh, what's the term I'm thinking of? Anyway, you know, you get Boutique? it. Boutique brand, yeah. yeah. But it's the same kind of deal. Like the, the stores are similarly designed and and mm -hmm. uh, and I've shopped at HEB's down in Houston. It is a great store. And, and I guess the, trying to raise awareness that those things are opening and putting that, that logo on all of those uh, academy and uh, uh, and other youth team jerseys would be a massive marketing yeah. coup for HEB to pull that off if they if that in fact is who it ends up being. Yeah, if you're trying to reach local community, it's a good vehicle. I mean, they're they're sponsoring the fireworks and the nonprofit night, which is against Real Salt Lake. You know they're. They've come in at an aggressive level, yeah. And and the idea of reaching community FC Dallas in that particular area is a really good vehicle for that. Now, if you're trying to reach all of Texas, you might think differently. If you're trying to reach Fort Worth, you might think differently. But if you're trying to hit North Dallas, you know we we talk a lot about that 30 mile radius, right? That FC Dallas focuses on is their primary marketing area. So um, again, lots of things just line up with this one, and it will not shock me at all if this really is the kit sponsor. All right. Uh, and just shifting away from the team, I, I know that in the last 24 hours, you've been spending some time talking about the news that is starting to come out officially. The Athletic wrote an article about this, but this is all coming after the fact that you've been talking about this for some time now, both online and on the podcast, or at least ha uh, hinting about it because you had yep. been getting some news, which is uh, effectively Major League Soccer is making some substantive changes 
substantive? Is that even a word? Some big changes. It is now. It is, now, <laughs> uh, is making some real changes to the homegrown rule, uh, homegrown rule and territory stuff. And I know you did a burn on it the other day, but maybe we should spend a couple of minutes on it here. Sure. Effectively, uh, the, the league has, for the most part, eliminated the homegrown territory rule. And the homegrown territory rule was the one that said, uh, we call it the Chris Kappas rule. It's the one that said that any player that is from your, that's from the area that you are in, you have automatic uh, dibs on. Now, the sm- the bigger your market, the smaller that radius is. Salt Lake being a small team, for example, used to have all of Utah and Arizona, which was really weird. All their great homegrowns have come from Arizona, not from Utah, really. Um, Dallas is, is most of North Texas, basically. So the Chris Kappas, we call it the Chris Kappas rule because he's the example of Dallas wanted to sign him. He was in their academy for a year, met the requirements. He never played for the Houston Dynamo Academy, but because he was from Houston, they blocked his ability to be signed by FC Dallas. That's the old territory rule in a nutshell. So what they've done is gotten rid of that rule. And instead, each MLS team can protect, protect is the word that I'm going to use, or tag, however you want to call it, up to 45 players from your academy, from the U15 group and up. So mostly that means U15, U17, and U19, although Dallas is adding a U16 team. That counts as like the U17 bracket, really, because they're like the only ones that have going to have a U16 team from the MLS Academy. So that roughly equates to there's a minimum per age group and a maximum per age group. The U19 level, the max is 15 and then the lower levels, the max is 20. But if you do the math, you're looking at 10, 12 players per year that you can protect. Since your roster is probably going to be in the neighborhood of 20, something like half or maybe a third of your roster is going to be unprotected there. You can't, you can no longer block them from signing somewhere else. So, But that effectively means that, most importantly, that pretty much everybody that doesn't play for your team can now sign for whoever they want to anywhere in the league. The Solar guys, the Texans guys, whoever, Dallas can no longer block them, mostly. They left in a rule where you can protect nine players that don't play for your club from outside your club. That means across the board, nine total. But... That's still a is lot that of still, players. but is that is that is that a nine players that don't play for your club inside a specific territory radius? Yes, yeah. it okay. has to be. It has to be here. It's still your local guys that you're okay. talking about. Like you, I can't go protect a kid that plays in Arkansas unless he comes and plays for my academy. Then I can. Right. The the nine players is the nine players that were in your former territory rule. So that's why I say like it mostly went away. Now, 45 players across your academy is still plenty of players protected. Nine players outside your academy is still plenty of players protected. But if you sign one academy player a year to a pro contract, that's a fantastic hit rate. If you do three, you have the greatest academy in the world if you get three (laughs) pros a year out of it. I was thinking about, I was trying to think about the nine players from outside the team and in a decade, I can think of two players from this area that I would have wanted to try and sign as a homegrown, both from Solar, Bailey Sparks and Blaine Ferry. Bailey's now at SMU, and Blaine actually now plays for North Texas. 
So there have been other Kinda. kids that have had successful. They've gone like Tompkinson at Norwich has been successful, but when he left, he left at like 16 at, as an, you know, like he was not a guy that people would have looked at like as a homegrown. He's worked his way up. Now he's like a U 23 or whatever. That's a different window. Right. So 45 players in your academy is a lot, and that's plenty. Nine guys not in your academy is a lot, and that's plenty because the real appeal of coming to Dallas from somebody like Solar or Texans is not just that you can sign a homegrown deal. It's that you get to play with North Texas and train with the first team. For guys that are this caliber of player, that's the real appeal. That's why Paxton comes from Texans. That's why the kids that have – there's like three or four kids from Solar that just came this summer. That's why they come. And so that's the, it's not as dramatic as change as it seems, you know, it's, it's frees up like this wouldn't even have solved the Kappas problem because he probably, he's so talented. He would have been a guy Houston would have tagged, even though he didn't play for them. Right. So, cause he's still from their territories. Yeah. But this also is a two way street and that, you know, uh, and this is where, Dallas's success in in getting kids on a path to Europe works in its favor because now yes. kids that play in other markets that could have never dreamt of coming to Dallas to play for them may have a open you know crack in the doorway to make it through, assuming that they're not at a level that their local team isn't going to put them under their forty five yeah. if they play for that academy or their nine player limit. I'm sure that there will be cases where people will still trade for these protected rights, these homegrown rights, you know, like they do now where, you know, Khalil Elmedekar is a perfect example of a guy who was protected by Philly automatically before. And when he got to college age, they didn't want him. And so Dallas was like, as he came out of college, we'd like to sign that guy. And they trade for his homegrown rights. Yeah, there's still going to be between the one homegrown you sign, there's still going to be 15 dudes that are protected that you didn't sign. So, so, yeah. So my question is, if you are, uh, let's, let's just make up a name, Tommy Smith, and you are a baller, uh, of a high level, whatever position, but you don't play for the Academy of your MLS team. You play for a club team. Let's just say in the Dallas Fort Worth there, they play for Texans, right? Sure. Does does Tommy Smith know that he is on Dallas's protected nine list? That's not specifically mentioned in the athletic reporting. I would assume that you have to tell them. Like I, I don't know how because you because that possibly... seems yeah that seems like that would be yeah. an incredible violation of that kid's lifestyle if he's dreaming of going to go play yeah. somewhere that's not Dallas only to find out that they've got some sort of chain on him that he can't break. I would imagine that, well, number one, I guess he could go play USL, but you know, yeah. I mean, number one, that would be a bad way to do business. First of all, that'd be horrible. People would, you would lose your rep. It would harm your reputation. So you would want to tell them anyway, but I'm like, how would you even go to a guy and go, Hey, we want to sign you. We protected you to five years ago. What? I'm not signing with you. You know, you can always go. That's the thing too. You can always go USL. I mean, the the far bigger change in this market is going to be if a USL team comes here, and provides you a pathway to the professional game 
outside of FC Dallas, then you could, even if you're one of those nine guys, you could just ignore it, right? You can go somewhere else. So Yeah, that's that's going to create some really uncomfortable yeah. and awkward situations because if you're little Tommy Smith, let's do Timmy. I like Timmy better. Uh, if you're little Mr. Smith and you get a, a note or a phone call, an email, a text, or a TikTok video, whatever they do that tells <laughs> them uh, <laughs> that they've been that they've been uh, tapped by Dallas or whatever club it is. It doesn't have to be Dallas. What does that do to that kid? Does that now does that really kind of put the kid in a position to almost force them to come join that that MLS team's academy because he really doesn't have a path to do anything otherwise? Is and that seems really incredibly unfair. Well, you can always go to college. You can always play USL professional with somebody else. That's again, go to I'm going to repeat. That I mean, sounds incredibly unfair. Yeah. <laughs> all, all it does is limit the other 30 teams in MLS. You know, you still have. That's the reason why Major League Soccer won the single entity lawsuit 27 years ago, was because they can point to all these other professional sports leagues, both here and abroad. So it's the same thing. I mean, they'll just say you can do whatever you want to, but if you want to play in MLS, you got to come through. Here now, in the long run, Peter, I've always been told that the minute you sign a professional contract, that territory, that protection goes out the window. So, like now, Dallas can sign Chris Capas. They can't sign him as a homegrown, but they can sign him if they want, right? If he was free agent or you trade for him. So it's really this, this protection is only for signing a homegrown deal, which gets you that roster protection, that exemption. That kind of stuff. Okay, so Timmy in this in this scenario could sign with LA Galaxy, but it'd have to be a full pro deal and not a homegrown deal. Uh no, he could sign with a professional deal with USL for one season, and then he could go sign with the Galaxy on a full pro deal. Ah, okay. I don't think he could sign with the Galaxy because you have to be brought into the league via a mechanic. You have to be drafted. You have to go through the homegrown academy route. I don't think you can even be discovered as that kind of player. You have to, those are only for players that are already playing somewhere. So you, you, there is a roundabout way to do it. You just can't do it without signing somewhere else first. I know that's confusing. Huh. It's but interesting. Listen, it's also MLS. They reserve the right to just do some crazy backroom crap and have it work. Well, so. <laughs> I, 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 I talk a lot about how I find uh, the career choice of professional soccer slash football players uh, to be super interesting. And that's always exclu- generally been uh, dedicated towards European or, or non-American players. But now the way this is happening in the United States just adds this whole other element of yeah. complication and, and mystery and oddity to it that I, I, I don't know. I just find all of it fascinating about all that decision making that these people. People yeah. extremely young ages and mm. impressionable young ages and so easily swayed uh, to be made. And we've seen so many of them make such disastrously bad decisions over Ooh. the years. Let me tell you my favorite part of this whole scenario. You would assume that if you're an academy player and you're not one of these protected players, that you would have a lot of freedom, right? You think that would sure. be the case? Yeah. Yeah, that's not really true. <laughs> if you want to move to another academy. Like, let's say you're player 15 on the FC Dallas roster and they don't protect you. Okay. And let's say Columbus calls or pick a team, Orlando, Salt Lake, whoever. And they call and they say, hey, come join our academy. We'll make you one of our protected guys. That team has to pay FC Dallas. They have to pay them like training compensation and not 
years later when they sign them for a pro. They have to pay them when they arrive at that team. Is that a fixed fee at this point, or is it, it is. a variable fee? It is a fixed fee, I'm told, and I don't quote me because it's not from a, a team source. It's a secondary source, but they showed me the little copy of the rule, and it's $20,000. So if you want a 14-year-old kid, because that's what can be at U15 level, Right. If you want a 14-year-old kid from somebody else's academy, you have to pay $20,000 for them. Okay, so let me uh, uh it, so would that apply if Solar had a 14-year-old kid that Columbus wanted? Does is no. Columbus required to pay Solar $20,000? No. No, this is an internal MLS rule. This is academy to academy. It's if they're signed to an academy roster, they have to pay $20,000. So you have to bet 20 grand on kid. Now listen, Academy is free, right? So yeah, Defcy Dallas from the age of U twelve and up has been paying for uniforms and for coaches. They're investing <laughs> literally hundreds of thousands of dollars per kid to get to yeah. that age. That's so what all the other kids that pay to play for are paying for. They're yeah, paying they for the, the academies, kid, right? The youth team is well. Some <laughs> some in FC Dallas it is. Some clubs don't have youth clubs. They only have academy teams, right? So they're just paying for it out of their pocket. And that's why this the $20,000 really is a very cheap rate for what they've actually invested in a player cuz they have, the academy players are expensive whether they're protected or not. You know, that's an expensive sport, an expensive league and it's a lot of money. So 20,000 is not crazy, but yet you're still asking a team to bet $20,000 on top of whatever else to get you to come to their academy. And so that's kind of weird. There's a small barrier there which hmm. is interesting. And I and I believe there's something about when they sign or, or make certain numbers of appearances or something, you have this more money and then even like a sell on percentage or something. So it's kind of like it is in the rest of the world where when you sign in guys, you got to pay these training compensations and the solidarities and stuff, but it's only happening inside MLS and it's even happening before you even sign them as a pro, just if you bring them to your Academy. Oy vey, as yeah. they would say. Hey, all right. Follow the money, my dude. It's always about is, the money. Is is there any uh, word on when this is officially going to be announced and all the rules will be published? Well, officially announced, I don't know. But the first protection filing date was yesterday. Oh, so okay. They theoretically should have already submitted this first set of protections uh, there's a, there, they, you redo those lists every so often. The next one would presumably be probably in the winter when you have guys that may, you know, leave your organization in that winter break or guys that might get signed as homegrown in your winter break. So you can get some shifting numbers. You know, I got so. a, I got a kick-ass idea for you, Buzz. Okay, go ahead. I love to give you content ideas. You <laughs> need to, you need to put out Buzz Carrick's yeah. prediction of Dallas's nine non-academy oh. reservation players in the North Texas area. Well, I, I think the... what, I'll, what I'll start with is I'll, I'll once I get the actual academy rosters, I think I'll probably, in a second piece, try and predict who the 45 players are for Dallas, and then I'll try and do the nine outside the team. The, the, they just stole a bunch, stole. They just borrowed, co- uh, you know, <laughs> invited – Stole a bunch of players from a bunch Vacuumed. of Vacuumed. Yeah. <laughs> Absorbed. I mean, they, I'm telling you, like, I think I'm up to Assimilated. 26. Yeah, I think I'm up to 26 new players in the academy already. And a bunch of them are from Solar. Uh, not a bunch. Four or five are from Solar, I think. Yeah. Uh, one or two from Texans. So 
Uh, and DKSC is getting better. You know, there's good players all out in a lot of these clubs. So I'll try yeah. and put something together. But I, I, I'm just telling you, for, as a as somebody who only has a passing uh, level of uh, interest in all of this stuff, the it's the 45 kids within the academy is one story, but the nine kids that don't even belong to the stupid club that are now tapped, that yeah. to me is the story. That's the nine kids that I I want to hear this. I want to yeah. one. Not only do I don't know who they are, I want to talk to those kids and I want to know what their reaction to that is because that just seems really really yeah. fart and weird to me that some kid playing soccer that doesn't even belong to a club now has some sort of like scarlet letter on his jersey uh <laughs> that he has zero control over i just find all of that very weird yeah i, I i've all, i've always only casually paid attention to the other teams because you know I, it's I, what i do is about fc dallas and the pathway yeah. but i but i you know i could have told you I mean, one of them, the, the top one is this kid, Caleb Swain, who they just landed from Seoul. He's the one that would have been number one on my nine outside the club list. Well, he just came over. Yeah. So, and then there's a couple other kids from that, in that same class that I, that I was impressed by. But so it'll take a little bit of a scouting again to see who I would might want, you know, of the, because they just brought in, like I said, 26 kids. So um, at some point, I'll probably try and do that, you know, later in the year when I've seen some other teams a little bit. It's like the Borg buzz yeah they're just starting to assimilate everybody <laughs> they are well that's the thing is like I, I kept having people reach out to me that are like everyone thinks that dallas is going to get hammered by this and i'm like dude dallas wants to get rid of the word the, the all the protection rules completely dallas is one of the clubs that wants it to be a complete open system system because they know that they have a reputation of not only taking kids to the first team but selling kids to europe so people will want to come here. And so I'm like, I don't know what you're talking about, about this being hurt in Dallas. And they're like, well, they have this really deep amount of talent in the area. And I'm like, they don't have like more than 15 kids per year deep. I mean, that's ridiculous. Nobody they only does. Care about, yeah, they only care about the one, two or three guys that are going to sign to be a pro. Yeah, they have some classes where there's been like the 2003s are ridiculous that there's like five or six guys that ended up being pros in that group. But it's like, that's insane. Sometimes it's one or none. So it's like if you're acting like that 15th or 16th guy is going to go be a superstar somewhere else, that's not that's not going it's, it's the same as it was. It's just more freedom for the people that aren't those top two or three is all. Yeah. All right. Well, we'll uh, anticipate with bated breath all of that, and I can't wait to see Buzz's prediction list on those kids. That will be, uh, oh, be yeah. good stuff. Yeah. All right. Anything else we need to discuss, sir? Man, I, we got more this week than I thought we were going to. Yeah, uh, me too. Considering we didn't have Dan and the game was so horrible, I think the academy was filled up. I mean, just stay tuned on the academy. There's going to be some more rules involved in this that are not official yet when it actually comes out officially because the athletic didn't even have this thing about having to pay to move kids over. So um, it's going to be fun. I, I, I just the, the U.S. soccer landscape is in constant chaos. It's always changing. It is not a 180 year old system like other places every year is different and that fascinates me i love that stuff well and i didn't even get a chance to give dan a bunch of shit about his crappy chicken fast food restaurant opinions so i'll have to save that for the next episode oh here's one thing that i think that wrexham fc show starts Start, tonight it does start tonight yes yeah, there you go so tune there in. you go that'll yep. be fun it will be fun third degree the podcast is brought to you by soccer 90 your source for fc dallas north texas sc and u.s national team gear check out all the latest stuff from the mls premier league and bundesliga and more 
ShopSoccerNight.com now and use the code Third Degree. I'm going to get 20% off your order and some exclusions for pie. And if you like this podcast, why not support us on the Patreon? Patreon.com slash Third Degree. All right, Buzz. Well, thank you, sir. Excellent content as always. Thanks. Thank you. Thank you. Hopefully this next game will be better. Yes. Hope and pray. All right. Thank you, FC Dallas Curious Fan. We'll speak to you next week on another episode of Third Degree, the podcast. Dan, where are you? Your opinions on chickens suck. Ooh. Woo. Third degree. Third degree net podcast. Third degree. The third degree net podcast. Third degree. Third degree net podcast. Third degree. Third degree net podcast. 25, 25 long hard years. Yeah. Buzz Carey. years you better be giving this man at least five dollars a month patreon third degree come on pay the man it's the only comprehensive coverage of my fucking club that i love so much hey come on it's third degree old bust yes give the man some mother f- money hey third degree third degree net podcast